You are listening to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by Audix. Hear what you've been missing. Audix is proud to introduce the new line of dynamic closed-back headphones designed for audio professionals and audiophiles to deliver the most accurate sound possible. I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be Welcome back, Signal Noise Podcast. Chris Brian Leonard, what's going on, man? How's it going? Oh, you know, uh, just hanging out with you in your middle name. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's important now, apparently, on the podcast, you know, we got a distinct... You've created esteem for yourself. Um, you know what? Before we before we jump in, dude, we got this hundred thousand downloads, man. We just hit hundred thousand downloads. We, this is awesome. We got to yeah. say a big thank you to the whole community and everyone's listening and sending Kyle nasty emails and even the you know the uh, the Nigerian princes sending the spam and all that stuff. I mean, dude, this is awesome. So so big thanks to everybody. Yeah, I mean, you know, Kyle's mom and Kyle himself have, have attributed at least 50,000 of those. So, you know, it's, it's we, you know, no, it, yeah, it's, it's great. Um, yeah, we posted about it recently. We thanked a lot of our guests. I mean, we, we, we wouldn't have any of this without our guests or without the listeners. So it's a, it's a double sided thing of, of thanks to everyone for sure. I think I'd, I'd just be here talking to myself. Is what what it would be, and no I, one would I would listen listening. sometimes to you. <laughs> That's called a phone call. Uh, we <laughs> yeah, we do that a lot. So uh, today's episode, I'm I'm pretty stoked because we've we've done several episodes with multiple Chris's, um, but today we sort of have double Brian and double Michael. So like, dude, this is this is it's like Inception episode sort of. Yeah, it's. I mean, I'm I'm gonna keep referencing Holly here. I mean, the simulation theory, it's growing, you know. So it's. <laughs> yeah. So, so who's uh, tell us about our guest today, man? Yeah, we're getting drafted. Apparently, we're going to the army. That's uh, cool. No, <laughs> um, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Okay. Um, yeah. So uh, we have we ha- and they have cool titles too. Uh, I was told legally I had to say this. The Pentagon called me. Um, <laughs> anyway, we have uh, Sergeant Major Brian Archer, who's the technical support group leader at the U.S. Army Band. That's a mouthful. Um, and we also have Staff Sergeant Major uh, Michael Willis as well, who recently just joined the army. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks, hey, man. What's going on? All right. So, did, I, did, it, did you get all the titles right? That was that was a lot. Uh, it's just staff sergeant for me. I know he said staff sergeant major. That's like oh. it, just, one day, one I day get, you I could get promotion. be the staff I sergeant. Get, yeah, I was like, I, pre- I appreciate thing. it. It's <laughs> like shoot. It's it's what we call a lateral promotion. There's no pay raise, just more responsibility. Right. Yes. You, have to, you have to get new business cards. <laughs> so so Brian and I actually go way back. Um, so back in my days at Maryland Sound, uh, I used to do a lot of work with uh, the Army Band. Um, in fact, actually, um, and the distinction being Pershing's own, I don't know if I said that earlier, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But, um, you know, I, I had posted kind of in the Facebook group of like, hey, we want to talk to some other people who – you know, or in areas of audio that aren't necessarily just rock and roll and corporate. Um, and I feel like the army band is one of those things where a lot of people probably don't know about what they do uh, or the fact that you can be an audio engineer in the army um, or in the just military in general. So uh, I think it'd be good to uh, bring Brian and, uh, and he, he brought along Michael and uh, we can, uh, we can dig into that. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's, I remember, I wouldn't say I was probably in 10th grade and I think the army band came 
to my high school. And, you know, I was, of course, the nerd running the lights at the time, right? But, but I was like, man, these guys rock. Like, they put on a great show. And I was like, this is really cool. So I think there's an element there that, like, I didn't realize at that age that that was a job. You know, that was something you could do. So, Michael, I mean, I'm sorry, Brian, why don't you make the distinction? What, what does it mean to be Pershing's own army band? Are there multiple army bands? Uh, yeah, so there, there's a, a series of um, military bands amongst the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, uh, even including uh, the Coast Guard has a band, and I believe the Merchant Marine Academy also has a band. But uh, for the U.S. Army, uh, there are kind of, there's some tiers of bands were classified as what you would call a special band. Uh, we're not special, we're just normal soldiers doing music. Um, but uh so Pershing's own is named after uh General Pershing's one of the original uh like you know the chief of staff of the army I believe like in night in during World War 1 1915 1916 I think that he came around um yeah so the US Army band was named after Pershing's own he saw some of the um military bands that were in Europe during World War 1 and he came back after World War 1 and kind of gave a, a general order of saying, I want you to train and equip the army band to his uh, subordinates. And so thus the army band was formed and it was named after uh, general Pershing. So that's where the Pershing's own comes into play. Um, there are other uh, bands, uh, probably the one that uh, Mike that you saw uh, probably was the U S army field band. And they're a little bit North of us at Fort Meade in Maryland. Uh, they predominantly are that large scale touring uh, group that goes around uh, to places in the U.S. that may or may not have a lot of army presence. So to sort of put that public face on where Pershing's own, we're based out of D.C. We do a lot more stuff that is in the national capital area. Uh, we also tour as well, but uh, just uh, two different mission sets. I mean, still music. Uh and then there's a band at almost every major army installation uh, in the United States and around the world. I mean, if you go to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, um, Mike, uh, he came from uh, Fort Stewart in Savannah, Georgia. I mean, they're, they're all over the place. So to very degrees, various sizes and, you know, all music, but slightly different missions and, and who the musical support is for. That's pretty cool. So, how long how long have you been um, with the army band, and what got you, you know, what, what got you into that? What uh, were you already in the army, or were you an audio guy who got into it for you know for this? Yeah. So, I originally uh, I joined the army uh, in, as a bandsman, as a drummer. That's sort of like my my sort of musical background as a drummer, percussionist. I uh, joined the army band, and kind of at the time, uh, they didn't actually have. Um, dedicated audio support which now they do it's been a, a great thing uh for the military bands as a whole but it, you know in particular where i can speak on uh, the army adding uh the position of an actual audio engineer assigned to the bands so it used to be you'd, you'd find somebody that maybe had some experience uh and you know they'd have gear but you wouldn't have somebody that dedicated they might be a flute player or a tuba player, guitar player, something like that. It knows how to hook up a PA. So I originally came in uh, as a drummer, kind of went through um, a, a variety of different assignments and playing and uh, almost by necessity started getting into audio. This is 
mid late nineties and bands like garbage and things like that. Everything was like drummers and loops, you know, some type of backing track and, uh, just started getting involved in, uh, learning how to make the sound. I mean, I, I know what it's supposed to sound like from the, the musical side, but learning how to do the, the technical aspect of it. And then, you know, Oh, well, I, I, you know, I, I need to get some gear and I need to figure out this stuff. And then, well, I need to learn how to do this thing and that thing and grabbing a book and then running some, uh, getting PA in a band and then making the mistake of saying, I could totally mix that and going out and having a show <laughs> that's like <laughs> feedback city. And I'm like, you know, fortunately, you know, had other friends that were professionals at the time. And it's like, listen, I, I know what I'm listening for. I just need to know physically on the console how to manipulate that. That sort of was m my, you know, uh, entry into audio fast forward, uh, to 2006, uh, I was in the, in the army, uh, I was deployed to Iraq, uh, with the fourth infantry division band as a drummer and also audio engineer. And by that time I'd had you know, plenty of time behind a console, both, uh, live and, uh, doing a lot of recording. So, uh, there was this posting that there was a, a vacancy for an audio engineer at the U S army band. And, uh, took uh you know took my time sent in my my demo and resume and went out there for uh the interview I had two weeks of time off from being deployed they kind of give you a little break in the middle usually of a deployment uh you know fly home see my parents for a day fly out to dc take the audition and as it turns out that the army wouldn't release me anyway <laughs> so I go back to uh, my my unit for Fourth Infantry Division. Go back to Iraq. Kind of like, man, that sucks. And uh, the the deployment ends after a year, and I go back to uh, my home station, um, Fort Hood, Texas. And phone call ha comes in, and I answer it, and it's uh, my former boss, uh, Sergeant Major Craig Lounger. He calls me up, and he's like, "Hey, we have another job opening." You want it? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I ended up getting assigned to the band uh, as, as an audio engineer in 2007. And that's probably when I first uh, met Chris on one of those uh, holiday shows. Uh, and I've been here ever since. That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah, a couple of shows that, I, that I've done uh, with Perching Zone um, – is to uh, so yeah we do the holiday show so it's like a it's like a week long you know what probably two shows a day or something like that um at dar constitution hall in dc typically they bring in um uh, a guest artist like the first year i did it was kenny loggins um and then you have um the army band you guys have like a jazz band stuff that plays as well it's just it's like a holiday special thing that uh sells out for like a week um that's that that was a fun experience uh we would do other stuff um uh, so, uh, Operation Rising Star, which is like a military version of American Idol. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And um, that one, I was actually my first com gig that I did with, um, or, or true com gig, uh, where I had to do like multi channel com. Uh, and coming from like just a straight up rock and roll world, I was like, what is this shit? Um, and turns out I do it every day now. Um, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I love the different types of things you get to do uh, within the. You know, but still be in the army. So I guess the question I maybe mean, other people would have, and I would have too, um, because you guys tried to pull me in on this years years ago. So do you have to be um, in the army, uh, like enlisted? Do you have to go through basic? How does that work uh, to be involved with the army band? 
Uh, yes. So th the short answer is you do have to be in the army and the position is enlisted. Um, but there's basically two tracks that, that, uh, we recruit from, uh, either folks that are already in the military. Like I came from, uh, being in a, a different job field. Um, uh, I know Michael came from being in a different job field as well. Uh, but there also will have, uh, civilians that will audition. So you, you do have to pass all of the, the general entry screening, uh, process that, that you would go through if, if you were enlisting into any job uh, in the armed forces. Um, so somebody comes in off the street, they do a basic screening uh, through a local recruiter, and then their audition packet comes to, uh, comes to the band uh, for whatever the opening may be. Um, and then they're invited to a live audition or an interview. I mean, we do an, an actual real live mix, uh, a, a live mix audition and a, a timed sort of studio event along with an interview as well. Uh, That's great. We touch on some of that stuff later on. But um, if you win the job, much like you, somebody's auditioning for an orchestra, then the job is offered to you. Uh, if you accept, then you go through the process of enlisting. Um, you'll go, you will go to uh, army basic training, which is uh, I look at it as a, you know, 10 to 12 weeks of uh kidding yourself in shape it's like a free workout it's great <laughs> <laughs> they, they they give you clothes they give you shoes right it's yeah. it's totally awesome three meals a day uh it's yeah it's just like the, the old movie private benjamin you walk in there's like uh they told me that there would be condominiums in the brochure <laughs> no there's no condos but yeah so you you'll go through that army training and the the major difference with the special bands uh, as we are with pershing zone is once you complete basic training, you are permanently assigned to the army band. It, it's I, I, the caliber of, of individual that we're trying to recruit has to be high enough that there is no additional training um, that you'll have to go through. Let's say if you join the army as a truck driver, you'll go through basic training and then you'll go to a transportation school where they teach you all of the details about truck driving. If you're going to be an x-ray technician, they're going to send you to a school that teaches you how to be an x-ray technician. We're hiring people in that already are fully qualified to perform the primary job. Uh, for us, it would be audio engineer, system tech, lighting, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Or if you're a violinist, there's no... You're not going to uh, some school to teach you how to play. You have to have all that requisite skill coming in. It's similar to how um, the military recruits for like the medical profession. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times you've already gone through med school or close and then the army brings you in. And there, so there is an, also an advantage that, that you will come in at a slightly higher rank. Uh, normally you would come into the army enlisted as maybe a private there's, there's nine ranks. So kind of a private through specialist, which is the E one to E four. You'll come in at a slightly higher pay grade, uh, as a staff sergeant, uh, that's, a, a an E six position. So, or if you come on the podcast, you get an automatic upgrade to staff sergeant major. So yeah, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like an additional bump in your pay. But w what that I think allows us to do is, I mean, I can speak on the, for the musician side. I mean, we've got, musicians that are there that you know, 
people from Juilliard, Eastman, Peabody, all the jazz cats from North Texas. I mean, if people that it's a bachelor's is generally a bare minimum for the musicians, tons of people with masters. We have people with doctorates in, in music performance. So these are people that are going to be competitive for any major orchestral position that's out there. So that's sort of what the, there's a, a little bit of an upfront bump uh, pay wise, sure. but, uh, it, it ends up benefiting folks. And then once again, once you win the job, you go through the training, you're permanently assigned to the army band. There isn't this thing that is in normal uh, military units where you might do two to four years at an assignment and then you're going to be relocated to another assignment. Gotcha. So from a, a work-life balance uh, perspective, uh, there's a lot of work, absolutely. But it's it's nice that we are sort of uh, – you're, you're – I don't want to say stuck, but um, you have the stability of having that permanent duty uh, uh, location, which is it's a super rarity in the military. Sure. So it's kind of a super rarity in our in our business as as a whole. Uh, Maybe not super rare, but I mean, a a lot of us are freelancers, or we're constantly trying to fill our calendars. We just talked about this on a previous episode. Like, where's my next gig coming from? And that that's a real source of uh, anxiety for a lot of people in the audio. I mean, present times excluded, especially, but. Um, you know, I, I said this to someone the other day, like if you have a stable gig, even if it's a mediocre gig, like don't take that for granted. The stability is huge. It's really, really, really big. So I think that's, that's, uh, definitely a big plus, uh, at least in my book. For, uh, for sure. I mean, I think that, uh, Mike could talk to this. I mean, he's got, he's got kids. You know, I mean, everybody has has a family. We all have these other things, and it's and he's he's been out in the regular commercial world as well, and it, it is a blessing to not necessarily have that hustle. That you, I mean, we all have hustle, but you don't have to hustle for that gig. It's mm-hmm. like somebody hires you into a major, you know, production house. Like you got a, a fixed gig with Claire that you can stay twenty years. <laughs> you know, that's that's nearly unheard of yeah. in, in this day and age. I'd, I'd like to hear from Michael what... Yeah, what's going on? You know, the... <laughs> what's up? <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the uh, you know, coming from, like, I'll say civilian audio, right, into what you're yep. doing now. I mean, what what were some of the biggest changes for you? Maybe stuff you didn't anticipate when you got into it. Um, So when I first got in the military, um, you know, I've been in seven years now, and coming in... So I give, I give you the backstory. So I was at SeaWorld. I was an audio guy at SeaWorld Orlando, because I'm from Orlando. Oh, cool. All um, right. And I, I remember, this is like 2008, maybe 2009, the Army National Guard Band from Pembroke Pines down in Miami came up. And they came to Bayside Stadium. We were doing like a 4th of July show. And they brought, I want to say it was like a like a 48-channel PV console. I mean, it was pretty big, but it was kind of like, you know, kind of like the bottom of the bottom of their National Guard. They don't have like a lot of money. Um <laughs> <laughs> I remember him telling me, he was saying, you know, we were talking and I told him, hey, you know, I played tuba in college and, you know, I'm a tuba player and, and uh, you know, I graduated college. I, I had a music tech degree and, and audio is, is what I do for a living. He was like, well, you, sh- you should get in the military. And I, and I kind of had the same reaction that most people have. Was like, oh, that's something that you could do in the military? And, you know, as Brian was saying, you know, the Army was kind of starting to develop this program, which we call the nine X-ray program in the in the band field, which is what they call a music production technician, where really you just you're a sound guy. Um he was like, yeah, we have a a program that's starting up. It's called the nine X-ray program. And 
you know, I had thought about it, but I kept saying same thing you guys asked, like, do I have to be enlisted? Do I have to be in the military? So I thought about it. I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. And it was just like, man, a few years later, uh, I went to Disney, started with Disney. was an audio engineer for them for a few years. And I just wanted to get more opportunities. So I was like, you know what? Let me see what this non-X-ray program is about. So I got in the military, um, got into the band field. And what I noticed is that, honestly, from the civilian sector, for what we do here, there's not that much of a difference. I'm actually, I was actually surprised of the level of, I guess you say professionalism or just the way that we do stuff, how closely related it is to mm-hmm. the civilian work. Because when people see military bands, nine times out of 10, when you see a military band, it's either going to be in like a, a parade, um, what we call change of commands when we get new leadership, you know, uh, inaugurations. You know, a lot of people in the regional bands, like where I come from, or at Fort Stewart, you know, they were known for participating in the parades down in, in uh, Hinesville, Georgia, outside of Savannah, where we do like the Vidalia Onion Festival or uh, the Savannah Picnic in the Park, the St. Patrick's Day down in Savannah, which is like the third largest St. Patrick's Day parade in the, in the, the world. Um, so when people see, you know, Army rock bands, the Army blues, jazz bands, mm-hmm. um, when they see just various types of musical groups, People are surprised. And then when they see them perform to a certain caliber that you honestly wouldn't expect from a military band, I mean, it it really shocks them. And that's that's how I felt coming in. You know, I was expecting to come come in, kind of seeing what I saw back at SeaWorld, you know, a whole bunch of analog gear, kind of outdated, you know, and they said they were starting a new program. So I was like, well, they're probably at the ground. They're trying to build up. But when I come in, you know, I'm seeing digital consoles. I'm seeing CL5, CL3s, Avid Desk, uh, Digical SD12s. Uh, PM5Ds, PM1Ds. I mean, I'm seeing all kinds of different uh, levels of expertise across the field. So it was kind of like, okay, I feel good. I feel like I'm I'm back in the environment, which I'm used to. And, mm-hmm. you know, the fortunate thing about it is that, you know, I have good job security. You know, I, I do hustle on the side. We gig and, you know, we stay active within the civilian world. Um, but, you know, I know that I still have a full-time job that does a high level uh, caliber for work. So honestly, I was, I was, I was happy to see, you know, that the way that we do things here, just in the army band, we're closely related to the civilian side. So that when we do get around civilians like MSI, Claire, anybody, solo tech, anybody that we run into from these different companies, you know, we're able to communicate with them and kind of be on the same page with them without them saying, well, they must be army. They might not know what they're doing or, or whatever. So, well, speak, speaking of gear, I mean, uh, I mean, you guys, you guys have purchased like line array and consoles and mics, right? I mean, you have like a full, full equipment uh, list of, of gear, right? Um, when it comes to line array, so we have V tens, uh, we have a, you know, we have the, the V series, we have the B series. When it comes to subs, I think we have V four subs that we use for the Army Blues. Um, we have the E series, so we have like E eight, E twelve, E twelve Ds that we use for monitors. Um, and then prior to me getting to two sab, which two sab is the United States Army band. Um, you know, they had Soundcraft VR1, VR4, VR6s. Um, but then they decided to say, hey, let's go to a different route. So now they have, we have a Yamaha CL3, CL5s, uh, QL1s. Um, so yeah, we have like, I would say we have a, a, a pretty substantial amount of, you know, industry standard, you know, gear and stuff. And then for our larger shows, we will, and, uh, we will rent from MSI, so we'll rent the Avid Desk, so we'll do like the 24D, 
and the I think yeah the thirty two D um, for like a larger holiday shows and stuff um, with the racks and everything with with the the, uh, the BNC and you know we might we might choose to go fiber depending on who we rent it from or MSI may say hey you're gonna have to use fiber for this show um, so. You know, we get pretty substantial uh, with the amount of gear that we I have. I mean, and that's, that, that, the gear that you guys have in house is bigger than some regional companies. You know what I mean? Right. So, like, it's it's no, it's no, it's no nothing to like sneeze at in terms of the level it takes to uh, work that stuff, own that stuff. I mean, just to own that stuff, the maintenance and everything. Right. Yeah, that's it, not simple tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We and it's funny because we call ourselves like a, a mini MSI or a mini Claire <laughs> because we have so much gear. I mean, between all the different groups. I mean, I primarily right now I've been working with the blues and in, in uh, a New Orleans type jazz group called the Swamp Romp. Um, and even for them, you know, we have two 32 channel Rio rags. We have a CL3 and a CL5 with a DMB rig. And then the concert band has every group pretty much has that same kind of setup. Two 32 channel Rio rags, a CL3, CL5, a DMB rig. Um, and it may kind of fluctuate depending on, you know, some for our larger shows we may bring equipment that's assigned to different groups we may bring it all together because for instance for like american holiday festival you know and chris i know you're you're pretty um you're aware of this you know we'll we'll rent from uh msi so we get like the avid desk um but then we'll also incorporate our cl5 desk and monitors so we have like two monitor engineers one mix and monitors actual floor wedges and then one mix in in-ears and, and, and uh, avions and then we'll have two avid desks the 32d and the 24d 24d being in, in uh, broadcast and then the 32d uh, being in front of house so you know that with two separate systems that are not talking digitally because you know you can have a dante to i think avid uses avb if i'm if i'm correct um you know we don't have that device that that allow us to bridge the two together so then you're talking about a whole bunch of copper just to split everything everywhere. So, yeah. So the, yeah. actually, the, um, the the broadcast side of things is a thing that I found actually very interesting early on. Is that a lot of shows that I did with you guys, um, you guys might have been involved in, and you might not have done the main production, but you're doing just the broadcast mix. In other words, like Brian, I know we did a show George Mason University, and it was like Trace Adkins and uh, somebody else. Um, and so you had your typical touring front of house guys in the in the arena doing the show. Yet Brian was tucked under some bleacher somewhere in some room with a bunch of packing blankets and right. made a makeshift makeshift record, uh, broadcast studio. <laughs> uh, you got to do what and, you got to do. And 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 then there's a there's a satellite truck out there pushing out the Pentagon TV channel. Uh, so it was that's a Brian talk about the broadcast world a little bit and in, in the in the work that you do with uh, two sub. So actually, getting to uh, Pershing's own. Uh, was my first kind of foray into the world of broadcast audio. And it was just one of those things that uh, really as a musician coming in, uh, you know, you know about the front of house guy, you know about the monitor thing, you know, you know about recording, but broadcast was something totally different. And I was like, what is this? Um, and oftentimes, I mean, like you know we we keep referring to this show um the american holiday festival it is it is one of our biggest productions it's certainly not the only production we do several large uh scale events i mean this is a full jazz orchestra with chorus with up upwards of 24 different features rhythm section additional rhythm sections for other features a a ton of stuff i mean easily upwards of uh, it, it's always cover, going over a hundred inputs on top of, you know, then go, maybe up to 120. Um, 
So in all that stuff, we, we used to put out DVDs of the show each year. It's sort of one of the promotional items. And now everything is going to uh, just a web-based streaming uh, format. But so I was like, oh, my God, you guys have to do this mix and you got to do a TV mix. And, all you know, it's it, 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 and you're right. You're always like kind of tucked away and it's like some room somewhere else where, you know, I, I quickly sort of changed my, my viewpoint of it, every mix is an important mix. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, the front of house, like you, you certainly don't want to mess that up. But if there is a mistake at front of house, that thing is gone. A little squeal. You know, you know, you, you you deal with that fire, you put it out. But when it's on broadcast, I mean, I don't know about you guys. When I listen to to live shows and award shows or some State of the Union that was a couple of years ago, and I'm like, this stuff's on TV. This is going to be rebroadcast again and again and again. And it's like, bro, yep. that feedback, man, you're killing me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> And that's just picking it up, you know, in, in, in a, uh, you know, from the live mix, but just realizing that, okay, I really need to sit down and sort of take what I would call like, you know, my recording chops and, and those type of sensibilities and then apply them to all of this broadcast stuff that we do. And now, it's, especially in this current environment, 100% of our products are, are all broadcast. So yep. really trying to like nail the live mix as you would, but with the, the realization, I mean, it's like that old, uh, Bob rock saying, it's like, well, at the end of the day, it's got to come out of two speakers. And so some, it's got to come out of yeah. somebody's, uh, mobile device or their laptop or, you know, I mean, if you're real high speed, then you, you maybe, you know, toss the, uh, YouTube link up to your smart TV, but you know, mixing for that environment, uh, you know, was just something that's like, Oh, this is pretty cool. And then just all those other little pieces that have to handshake. And then, you know, sometimes the, the, the track count gets so high that, you know, I'm stemming stuff into me so I can mix it. I mean, old school days, you know, Chris probably remember would have two, uh, uh, synced, uh, DM two K's or something like that. So you could get, I mean, you could mix 96 per desk, but, you know, it's kind of having, you know, 48 faders across. It makes, you know, swip it, you know, swapping the scenes and that just a little bit easier. And, and on a, a yeah, and, and it takes 10 minutes to push all the buttons to get to the menu you need to, but yeah, yeah it's beside the point. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> right. But it's just, you know, ha having that, uh, uh, that world opened up to my, I was like, oh man, they're, they're here. And it was just, it was cool. Cause it's just, it was just another thing that you could do with audio. And it's, uh, it's probably, my favorite i mean i i would definitely say and i'm sure mike would probably agree like i'm a recording guy first um but i i like oh, yeah. that broadcast thing where you get to do all of sort of the recording i don't i don't, I don't have to worry about something weird in the house that i've got to like carve up some instrument to make it fit because of you know 50 hertz is, is just booming in some the left corner of the arena like you get a craft the sound a little bit more but you still have to nail the live mix and a lot of times like we, we won't go back and do any post-production on it it's like mix it live and uh you, you better nail it or there's push-ups involved <laughs> how, much, how much how much are you guys doing with audience mics since you have um this is broadcast where there's you know a live audience trying to capture that energy how much are you doing with that um normal i would say any any typical large-scale theater to uh arena type show i mean anywhere from I'll, I'll do four to eight different mics yep. in the house. Uh, 
just kind of to catch it. And sometimes like, you know, you'll always get that, that dude that's, uh, you know, taking out his, he got a piece of uh, butterscotch candy from his grandma with that cellophane <laughs> wrapper underneath one here. So just having some, some different, different options. I mean, as from a practical measure, but you know, you, 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 you got to give the audience the perspective of what it's like to be in the arena. Um, and w- without the, the ambient stuff and the crowd mics open, I mean, it just, it, it, it gives, I think, to somebody that's untrained, they're watching this thing and they're not catching all of that other stuff around the sound. It just, it, it, I think people walk away and say, oh, I don't know. It was fine, I guess, but I don't know. It's just kind of weird. There's something that's what, lacking authenticity to it. So, yeah. What, what do you have to do to those audience mics? Are you, you know, panning and compressing them, EQing them? What do you, how are you shaping them? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then also uh, delaying them. Uh, at times, especially with a, a, a big jazz orchestra or we'll do some things that, uh, it'll be, you might have some unique type of instrumentation. I mean, we, we have a, uh, a, a partner organization, um, that's, uh, the, the, uh, Fife, the old guards, Fife and drum corps, and they play the colonial style music with, wood fifes and small bugles and rope tension drums and sometimes there'll be a feature in our show and we're like okay well how in the heck am i supposed to catch this like they're coming out on the lip of the stage and at times you know we'll we'll find a way of making those audience mics also you know uh acoustic instrument feature mics you can you sort of you know uh have them do uh, dual functionality but as far as shaping the sound for sure uh, EQ comping, you know, again, it's like, it's comping to, you know, pr- prevent like the one loud clapping guy or, you know, someone that's like going, giving a woohoo from the audience. That's not going to like <laughs> slam the left side of your mix. Um, we'll and, uh, high pass, high pass, <laughs> high pass, high pass all day long. Yep. Or throw a little I verb just, on it. I was laughing when you were talking about that because I did a recording session for a jazz trio the other day and the, I sent it out to the uh, guitar player afterwards. I sent him a bounce via email. And he said, I can't hear the bass at all. It was a bass like on. And then I didn't respond to the email because I knew <laughs> that he was then going to go listen to it on something other than his iPhone. And then sure enough, 10 minutes later, I get another email like, oh, man, I just listened to it on headphones. And it sounds great. Thanks. There's tons of bass. Right. <laughs> so so like, but, you know, this is our world now, right? Like people listen Absolutely. to stuff on iPhones and and laptop speakers and and you know I, I mean I just I actually bought a sound bar for my TV because the built-in speakers were so lousy but you know we have to really be mindful of that stuff when we're mixing for broadcast um, yeah. so I think it's really been kind of a mental adjustment or, or a shift to be like okay yeah maybe you shouldn't proof your mixes on an iPhone but guess what they're gonna do it so you know how do we react to that as engineers and what are we gonna do about it. You know, uh, well, honestly, I, I'll tell you that uh, I think you've probably heard over the years, there's a couple of different schools of thought, you know, and it's like, oh, this is going to get compressed. It's going to end up at like a, a two bit MP3 going over XM radio or something like that. Who cares about the audio quality? And I think we've always taken me personally and uh, my team as well. Like, OK, well, that's just more reason to make the front end of everything the biggest fattest widest most dynamic range uh 
yeah. the, the most lush thing you could possibly do as polished as possible. So when it gets slammed down and goes through all those layers, it goes up and down from satellite X through satellite Y. Uh, by the time it reaches the listener on less than good speakers, probably it still translates and you know, the musical and the artistic intent still hits that listener just like you would like you got to reach the back of the seats when you're mixing front of house like the guy up front is, is just as important as the as the ticket holder all the way in the back of, in, in the nosebleed so uh i think trying to still take that same approach and and, and create the, the highest quality product knowing that it's going to get dithered and truncated and smashed and expanded and put in the garbage disposal a couple times you know left outside in the sun <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, I did um, a couple months ago, I was, uh, had a band that I work with, you know, I work with occasionally around my area and they wanted, they were part of a uh, benefit thing where the bands were all sending in videos of their performances. And then the, this, you know, this charity was going to stream the, uh, those performance videos on their Facebook page and people could donate to whatever it was. And so I said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll do that. And so they wanted to just come to the studio and do a live to two. And then yeah, I said, we'll, we'll master it and, and you guys can just go. And, I, I had to actually go on and listen to what Facebook compression does to audio and okay, you know, how did this sound when it went into the codec and then what happened when it came back out the other side? And I had to, I tried to, you know, think about preparing their mix um, to take it, all that into account. And then when their video guy got it, he went and added a whole bunch of extra reverb. I'm like, no, no, listen, man, <laughs> like you take that out. Like that we, you know, this was, this was, uh, what you're listening to is not intended to be the final product. That's is, is supposed to make the final product sound good when it comes out the other side of Facebook. So um, we've got sort of like extra steps in our signal chain now. Um, and it's, you know, I think if you ignore those, you're going to uh, be disappointed possibly down the road. Yep. That is correct. Yeah. And, and, and probably on the, on the civilian side, you're, you're you might run the risk of not getting hired again. Uh Yep. And uh, sure. on the army side, well, you know, you're probably not going to get fired, but you you'll get a stern talking to and a strongly worded letter. <laughs> <laughs> you push cases for a few years. Yeah, it's like, ooh, yeah, hey, listen, uh, that mix the other day. Um, how, what do you feel about loading trucks? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> and there's some some leaves out front that need to be swept. Right. <laughs> So one of the coolest things uh, or intriguing things that I found out about the Army and in, in the shows that you guys do is the way you guys treat redundancy and not redundancy in gear, although, yes, there's that, uh, but in people. So, for instance, my first exposure to this was um, was like the holiday show you guys do where for every and back me up on this if this is wrong. But like what I noticed is that every position had a backup position. Uh, basically an understudy, if you will, but in, in the audio world, um, everything was heavily scripted. So like the backup had to know um, where everything was on the console, what every script was they were following along so that, if you know, it's that hit by the bus mentality. Uh, can you talk about some of that uh, and how how you guys perfect that and, and, and where that maybe has actually saved you guys? Uh, absolutely. So, I mean, there is an old, uh, I, I'm going to say it's an army saying because we're, we're the oldest, most senior and most mature of the armed forces. So we'll take, we'll take credit <laughs> for anything that's cool. Um, but there's, there's a saying that, you know, the two is one and one is none. Uh, and as it, it you know pertains to equipment, but for certain uh, personnel as well. And there's a thing of, 
you know, you, you need the, uh, in a rank oriented sort of hierarchy that you need to know the job of the person above you and the person below you in case, I mean, if it's, you're talking about a, uh, a combat type situation. Well, if the team leader gets wounded, well, somebody needs to step up and be able to take uh, command and control of the situation and, and carry the mission forward. Uh, well, our mission is making sure that that live event uh, happens. So uh, we've we've grown uh, uh, over time to where now uh, the size we have fourteen uh, on our team, and uh, generally there's always an A one and an A two. Uh, we now have expanded uh, because of, of so many uh, monitoring needs. I mean, as Mike talked earlier, like for these big shows, we're we're having two separate monitor mixers. I mean, it's not like a you know you're out with some A list group where Bono has his you know his guy doing it, and then you know the, the drummer bass player get kind of shoved in the corner, and like, well, they've got to share an engineer. But we'll put two uh, on that. But both of those people are aware of what the other is doing. They're side by side. Um, you know, a lot of our, this, the things that we do, uh, they'll be scripted. So there's cues. So we, we have uh, all those things are coming down calm. But the A2 for your front of house person, like if for some reason somebody gets sick, I mean, it's, you know, you should all be trained well enough to come in and be able to mix anything that's thrown in front of you. But it certainly helps when you know the cues and that, uh, you know, in the middle of the 1812 overture that you need to bump the first oboe mic for that particular feature. Uh, if you don't know that, I mean, yeah, the show's still going to happen, but it's it's just not going to be to the, the level of quality that uh, uh, not only do we, uh, ex- you know, we internally expect, but I mean, you know, we deal with the the highest levels of of the U.S. government and do events that are on the world stage. I mean, I'm not saying there's, you know, you do a show at a local club, you should be giving that client the exact same level of of care and service. But when you're doing something that in, involves, you know, we're doing a show at the White House, we're doing something at the Olympics. I uh, did the anthem at the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago. I mean, like you, you've got to be on and if for some reason something happens that you need somebody that can instantly step into that position no questions almost uh like a machine like a robot just like okay cool i'm taking over now i've got it it's all under control and uh the audience and sometimes you know the boss doesn't know the difference yeah because this this last uh hf you know kind of just piggybacking up what brian is saying so i was an a2 with a but my good friend Brian Knox at front of house, um, he was a one. It was kind of like it was the same thing. Me looking through the score, following the the program, and just making mental notes and marking it into the score. You know, hey, here's a a feature, or or here's it's not necessarily a feature, but maybe the core progression need to come up to support the ensemble, um, and just just constantly just every show. You know, we do, we do four AHF shows throughout that whole week. Um, and you never, you never get complacent. You never just sit there and be like, okay, well, I, I've seen the first two. I know the music. No, every show, you know, I'm in the score, reading through the show, digging, digging through it because you know something can happen at any point in any of those four shows um, that didn't happen on a previous show. So you never know. And it's just like being there, attention to detail, just on the ready, just in case anything's happened. Um, but also knowing 
where the front of house guy, how he has his console laid out. So yeah, knowing the show, but I mean, that's not going to help you if you don't know that he has a VCA buried into the avid desk. <laughs> I'm and, sorry. And he has subgroups. So you like, and, and it's funny, you know, I laugh with Brian too, because you get burned. I mean, how many engineers haven't, haven't got burnt by VCA? I mean, I've been burnt a thousand times. I'm like, even on my desk now, I'm just like, man, why is that not on? And I forget that I'm on a subgroup layer and I got a VCA that's on a whole another layer or a DCA, you know, depending on how you were raised. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just been there, been on the ready, but even with our normal groups, like, like, like I said earlier, you know, my first, I, I'm, I'm passing two years here now, but my first two years here were working with the Army Blues, you know. So knowing the systems, knowing how, what's the standard that the A1 or if we have a TD or, or whatever, how they how they set the group up. <clears throat> and just knowing the, the timbre of what the MD for that particular group, the musical timbre, how he wants it to sound, you know, what are, what are the things that they're expecting when they go back to listen. You know, they want to hear the saxes. They want to be kind of sax driven or this particular piece. They want to hear more rhythm section. So a lot of attention to detail, as Brian said, um, goes into our job, especially here in the national capital region where we get a lot of attention from the Pentagon all the way up to the White House. I think the other thing that kind of occurred to me when you were talking is like you have all these different consoles. You have a ton of different gear. I mean, it's not it's very different than my situation as a freelancer where I have this console, this console, this console, and those are the ones I work on, and those are the ones I know how to work really well. And if I get on something else, I'm like, oh man, I gotta, you know, I'm not as yeah, familiar yeah. on this, so I gotta remember. Like you have a lot of stuff, a lot of plates in the air, and you're really, uh, it sounds like you have to really be up to that level on a lot of different pieces of equipment. Uh, that is true. So, yep, well, I'll, I'll let Brian explain that. Uh, yeah. So this is one of those things that, uh, as the slightly ever so slightly older guy, not older looking, but maybe on my driver's license, it might say that I'm slightly older. Um, you know, I, I kind of came into this stuff. I mean, this is, you know, late nineties where I, I was fortunate enough. And the people that I had that, uh, were gracious enough to mentor me along the way and answer all of my dumb questions. Uh, it, they, they let me, you know, work on a lot of analog gear to where, you know, I know I, I listen to your show all the time and there's tons of, of tech talk and, uh, this new piece, this gizmo and that gizmo. And I see these guys out there with like, they got a, a zillion different wave server racks and I can't do my show unless I've got a bajillion plugins. And like, we don't, we can have all that gear, but everybody that comes through the door has to know like, it's, it's the basics, you know, do the basics better than anybody else does. Like gain structure, gain structure, high pass filter, blend in mono, you know, until you get it right before you start reaching for the coolest, newest plugin, you know, like we have to, to do all of that to get it perfect and to have that fundamental set of skills that when that time comes that says oh hey uh this show is bigger than what our current gear capabilities are and that's oftentimes while we'll rent we're trying to be good stewards of our budget as well um and so there's no need for us to own a really large format live console which we'll always need two if not three uh it's more cost effective for us to you know, rent the Avids or, or Digico or whatever happens to be available. So, 
you've got to be able to jump in on any piece of equipment and be able to mix to do the true audio engineering, you know, the, the engineer aspect of that job and say, okay, cool. Where, where, where's the gain? Where's the high pass filter? You know, hopefully you don't have to find the fader, but I mean, that kind of a thing. Yeah. I remember even like the first time, uh, <laughs> I, I jumped on one of the CLs when we had just got all, got all those. Um, and I'm like, God, where's the, where's the worst phantom? Like, I was like, I had to call somebody up and I'm like, man, you know, I don't mean to sound like a dummy here, but, uh, where's the phantom button? <laughs> you know, it was like buried on another page or you have to hit, I think the gain knob and it takes you to the, the gain layer, you know, but you got to know to ask those questions. Number one, I think that there's, a uh, a, uh, a definite benefit, um, that, that I was able to have. And it, you guys had that, the episode a while ago about, uh, uh, should I go to school for audio uh, and that type of thing? I mean, I'm actually curious to ask a question back. I mean, have you seen uh, a change sort of generationally where a lot of kids, I mean, recording wise, like we, we've got a fantastic large format analog desk in our studio that some people will come in and they're like, I've never touched a real gain pot. This is an actual EQ, not a plug in. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, right. it, I don't know. It, it, it trips some people out because like I've only mixed on my laptop. Like it's a, well, it's a, it's the same thing. If you have the fundamental understanding of how it's supposed to work, then like you can ride any bike if you know how to balance. Yeah. I think my gen, I mean, I'm, I'm in my early thirties and I think my generation is the last generation that, you know, that will largely start an analog and finish yeah. on digital. Um, I think that's, you know, I, I do know that, like uh, a previous guest, actually, the episode you're talking about, Eric Ferguson, professor up at up at Husson, um, he he like like most good audio professors do, starts you start on analog, and you learn that gain structure, and you learn that signal flow, and then when you're ready, you go to a bigger analog, and you do it again, and then and then you go to digital. But um, I hope that trend continues because I think teaching on analog is a really good thing, but I think you know outside of the educational umbrella i think yeah i think i think going forward i think most people will have their first audio experience now it's going to be with digital gear for sure or, or an ipad you might never even touch a fader right yeah and i'm with you uh michael yeah i started you know same thing started analog and then when i got to disney that was my first time um being behind the digital desk and it was a yamaha m7 and i'm like man like y'all gonna have to train me on this because i mean i'm coming from <laughs> a heritage 1k or a Venice or a Verona, can you know, see where it was a Midas yeah. house, all analog gear. And it's like, this is, like you said, this is a different, you know, kind of a, a different way of doing things. Um, but one thing I, I will say is that, and this, this is just my true opinion. Yeah, you're going to learn a lot of stuff, you know, getting the the college education. And, you know, I did, I did the whole college thing and I, and I felt good about it. But within our industry, I truly believe you're not going to, you're not going to get the experience and the knowledge that you need to be successful in our industry is not going to come from that college degree. It's that's going to come from the on on the job training. Because you know, I've worked with people who who didn't go to college for this, but they're some of the top engineers that I, I feel like I've ever worked with um, in my career. So mm -hmm. I feel like there's a a limit of how much you can actually learn with just in our field. You know, being in the medical field, that's different. But like in our field, you know, there there's there's that baseline that that's only that you're going to get from college. Everything else that you need to be successful, I feel like it's going to come from on the job training that you you probably can't learn in, in a college classroom because our our industry is like 
inconsistently consistent. It's like there's some <laughs> consistency, but there's a lot of stuff that's inconsistent because our nothing nothing is day by day the same each and every time when it comes to, come to our industry. I mean that just simple acoustics. The room is going to sound different today than mm-hmm. than it did yesterday. You know your mix is going to sound different tomorrow than it's, it did today. So a lot of that stuff, I feel like you have to be in the environment on the road in those venues hands-on learning that you're not going to get from a textbook you know that's just you know and i've seen i felt like that's what i've learned you know coming out of college you're like oh i, I got a college mm-hmm. degree okay, <laughs> but this this guy next to me who's been doing it for 20 years who don't have a college degree probably will, will mix me down into the dirt and <laughs> and just put it to bed i think i think a, a key part of it for me is like it's not just about, well, you know, I, I hear it too often and, and I, don't, I don't intend to turn this into like, we're going to go, you know, we're going to go bash on audio schools because yeah. it's not my intent at all. Um, right. I think they're really important. But um, like you said, I think they're a part of a larger picture. And so well, my professor says we should always do this and we should always do this. Like I, I want people to understand why they're doing things, because like you said, when you get into a new challenge, something you haven't dealt with before. Um, you can't rely on this rote pattern that you've always done. I think it's where it really comes down to understanding the tools that we have and let's understand the capabilities of this equipment. And let's understand what techniques exist to help us deal with whatever thing we're trying to deal with. And I think right. that's, you know, I mean, literally, literally engineering, right? Like, like a- applying these principles, learning our tool set and in trying to, you know, work toward a solution with the tools that we have. To me, that's, that's where it's all about, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Just developing that method that, that works for you. And like you said, using those tools and, you know, fortunately we have guys like you and Chris who started this podcast, you know, we have the mixed shoe guys and the Robert Scovels and the, the Ken Pooches and, and all that stuff that are kind of giving people, Hey, this is what you need to do. This is the, the, the mindset. These are some tips I can offer to put in your tool bag. You know, so you can develop a process and you can have methodology to accomplish a high quality product outside mm-hmm. of, like you said, you know, the college classroom and stuff. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Absolutely. So, so speaking of real world experience, um, you know, if if any of this has intrigued you uh, in terms of what uh, these guys get to do here at Tucson, uh, there happens to be a job opening. Brian, do you want to do you want to you want to talk about that? Uh, I do want to talk about that one. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, we are hiring right now. You know, there's a first you can you can find the vacancy on usarmyband.com and uh, it's our our homepage and if there is a tab for vacancies and it'll say current openings. Uh, so the title of the the job is live production technician. And we decided to kind of go with that um, rather than looking for engineer or uh, RF specialist or the latest Dante wizard or an LD or stage manager. We're, we have such a, 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 a deep roster and a team that I'm immensely proud of. Um, and, but we, we do have a vacancy to be filled and we're sort of like, well, what do we need? Uh, and you know, uh, with, with Mike, he's, he's our newest, uh, hire. And it's kind of one of the reasons yeah. I, I really wanted him on the, on the, the episode as well is you, know, me as the old guy, you know, I'm sort of looking at it's like, well, all right, we need gear and we need audio guys and we need, uh, somebody to do the lights. <laughs> but now there's so much emerging technology that 
it, it's i mean both both chris and mike you guys know it, it, it's a it's part it's a daily job just to keep up with the latest stuff mm -hmm. so uh that live production technician is somebody that we're looking for that uh has live show skill set it could be a front of house guy monitors uh you know we, we definitely always need somebody that ha has calm experience rf experience um if you've got lighting chops that's that's great as well uh in especially in, in the this covid environment we've pushed so much stuff towards our um uh online productions that we're we're essentially running a full-time tv studio so uh we're looking for an individual that has a, a unique set of skills <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that, that can add to the team uh, and, you know, just take us to the next level. Hopefully, you know, somebody that's uh, aware of, uh, of current systems. I mean, I, I guess to, to, to think, you know, a super duper system tech would be a great archetype of a, of a personality, but that's not just the only thing. So I, I definitely, it, I'm open to a variety of those production skill sets that somebody can come in and say, Hey, yeah. Uh, you know, you need me to, to smart out a room. Got it. You, you need me to, you know, do some MacGyver action and with a piece of bubble gum and get signal from point A to point B. <laughs> no problem. I'll lick both fingers and, and, and be a conduit. Uh, you know, it's somebody that's like, Oh yeah. You need me to network up to some satellites. I got that. I mean, half the time, you know, our job anymore outside of the mixing is, being an IT specialist. I mean, so mm -hmm. yeah, we, we're, we're, uh, open. We're taking applications. Um, it's, it's a, it, I've, I've often said that, uh, I'll probably, you know, some of my other army friends will probably beat me up for this, but you know, my, my team is they're, they're, they're like, they're kind of like the Delta force of audio. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a highly, highly skilled group of individuals that can receive incredibly complex missions and execute them flawlessly in a compressed time scale. And as if it had been, you've, you've, you've had months of rehearsal. I mean, that's the, the level that, that we're operating at to where like, if, if the white house or the Capitol calls and says, Hey, we're doing this thing or, uh, some head of state is arriving tomorrow. We have to be prepared. <clears throat> Excuse me. We have to be prepared to go out and execute whatever musical mission that it is. I mean, the same thing with the musicians that we did a, a state dinner last summer where it was like, Oh yeah, we need you to, uh, you ever get that call where like, Hey, uh, I need you to put up a whole bunch of microphones and put musicians and speakers all over the place, but I don't want to see anything, <laughs> you know, uh, it's like, okay, well, we got to figure that out and we have to figure it out in, in, uh, about a day or two's worth of time to, to make that happen. So, um, somebody that, that, uh, enjoys, um, the inconsistent consistency, uh, of, uh, of gigs. Uh, I think that this is a, a fantastic opportunity. Um, for uh, somebody with that type of mindset uh, that um, 
likes working in a in a, a dynamic environment that it isn't always rock and roll shows. I mean, we do plenty of rock and roll shows, but we also do big band shows. We've got a full chorus. We do full orchestral shows. I mean, you guys are talking about having orchestral guys on there. I mean, we've I've I've got some great orchestral folks that are on on the team. Uh, you know, somebody that's we've we've got some outstanding stage managers. I mean, and people that are like really gifted with uh visio and all the other cad stuff and vector works and and that's it's crucial when we're trying to lay in a field and figure out well where are we putting the truss where's the stage going i mean we have to do that entire thing with 14 people so yeah so you know and and that's great i think i think it's an exciting position i think it's a huge opportunity for anyone who'd be interested um you know and full transparency like you know you didn't ask me to talk about this the army didn't you know this is not like a paid advertisement for the army i firmly believe in uh the, all the um the crew at tusab and the work that i've done with them in the past and so i wanted to throw this out there and i, I would have talked to you regardless whether it's about this job position so i, I want to make sure people don't, don't think that this was a you know Pay for play type of situation here with <laughs> no. uh, with this. I, I truly believe you know, believe and want to back behind behind all this. We we speak from our hearts here on the Signal Noise podcast, and sometimes from our stomachs. If uh, you've seen the uh, <laughs> the the government uh, contracting process, you know that we couldn't even pay for the play if we wanted to. I mean, we, you, you might be able to do it, but there'd be like eighty pounds of paperwork, and and uh, we wouldn't get the contract done until next year. So. All right, so you know we didn't talk about food. Michael brought up a good point. So Michael, uh, not not our Michael. I know, you already uh, know what I like. Yeah. <laughs> hey man, what's up? <laughs> what's uh, uh, what's your? Uh, are you into tacos? And if you're not, what's your go to? Oh, for food, yeah. Uh, I am a barbecue connoisseur. I Ooh. love barbecue. Like I, oh, Kyle's going to be disappointed that he wasn't on this episode, yeah, man. I That's own two thing. smokers. I I constantly keep a. A high stock of wood. I mean, I am into like competition style barbecue. And so, I mean, I'll oh, eat man. it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner if I could. Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's my thing. Real brisket. We need to restart this episode and put this at the beginning of the episode. This yeah. is the, this is the important <laughs> stuff right here. Right. I'm like, yeah, you might want to, we might want to do a, a separate episode because I can go on for hours about this. <laughs> yeah, we should. Yeah. So yeah, that's my thing. Barbecue. I mean, I, I just love barbecue. I'm actually thinking about going to Famous Dave's today. Not a paid advertisement for them either. But <laughs> <laughs> their barbecue is yeah, it's uh it's pretty good. Well, there you have it, Chris. You got it in there. It's yeah. right under the wire, man. <laughs> well, uh, uh, Brian, Brian and Michael, we uh we appreciate you guys coming on. No, yeah, no thank, wow. you thank you so much. Thanks for having us, man. Great to learn about this stuff. Appreciate it.